volume two chapters nine and ten of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain nine sorrow augmenteth the malady this happy easy-going life of maurice glissold's was suddenly disturbed by a letter from martin trevenard some time had elapsed without any communication from the young man when this letter arrived but maurice in his new happiness had been somewhat forgetful of his cornish friend he felt a touch of remorse as he read the letter things have been going altogether wrong here wrote martin i don't mean in the way of worldly prosperity we have had a first-rate harvest and a good year in all respects but i am sorry to say my mother's health has been declining for some time she has been unable to attend to the house and things get out of gear without her my father has grown moody and unhappy and i'm afraid puts a dash of brandy into his cider oftener than is good for him muriel is much the same as usual and the good old grandmother holds out bravely it is my mother gives me most uneasiness i feel convinced that she has something on her mind i have sometimes thought that her trouble is in some way connected with poor muriel i only wish you were here your clearer mind might understand much that is dark to me if it were not asking too much from your friendship i would willingly beg you to come down here for a week or two it would do me more good than i can express to see you maurice's answer to this appeal was prompt and brief dear martin i shall be at borcelland all things going well to-morrow night yours always m c it was a hard thing for him to leave town just now there was his new poem which had all the charm and freshness of a composition recently begun little chance for him to continue his work at borsal with martin always at his elbow and the family troubles and family secrets on his shoulders and then there was justina all his new hopes and fancies which had grouped themselves around the young actress like the loves and graces round venus in an allegorical ceiling by lili or neller but friendship with maurice clessold being something more than a name he felt that he could do no otherwise than hasten to his friend's relief so he took his farewell cup of tea out of the dragon china and departed by an early express next morning after promising justina to be away as brief a span as possible borcelend looked very much as when he had first seen it save that the warm glow of summer had faded from the landscape and that the old farmhouse had a gloomy look in the autumn dusk maurice had chartered a vehicle at seacombe station and driven five miles across country a wild moorland district made awful by a yawning open shaft here and there marking the place of an abandoned mine the glow of the great hall fire shining through the latticed windows was the only cheerful thing at borsal all the rest of the long rambling house was dark martin received his friend at the gate this is good of you clissold he said as maurice alighted i feel ashamed of my selfishness in asking you to come to such a dismal place as this but it will do me a world of good to have you here i've told my mother you were coming for a fortnight's ramble among the moors it wouldn't do for her to know the truth of course not but as to borsal being a dismal place you know that i never found it so ah you have never lived here said martin with a sigh and then you've the family up at the manor to enliven the neighbourhood for you there's always plenty of cheerfulness there and how is mr penwin going on is he getting popular he ought to be for he has done a great deal for the neighbourhood you'll hardly recognise the road between here and the manor when you drive there but i don't believe the squire will ever be as popular as mrs penwin the people idolise her 
but they seem to have a notion that whatever the squire does is done more for his own advantage than the welfare of his tenants and yet take him for all in all there never was a more liberal landlord martin was carrying his friend's small portmanteau to the porch as he talked having deposited that burden he ran back and told the driver to take his horse round to the stables and to go round to the kitchen afterwards for his own supper this hospitable duty performed martin opened the door and ushered maurice into the family sitting-room there sat the old grandmother in her accustomed corner knitting the inevitable grey stocking which was always in progress under those swift fingers there in an armchair by the fire propped up with pillows sat the mistress of the homestead sorely changed since maurice had last seen her the keen dark eyes had all their old brightness nay looked brighter from the pallor of the shrunken visage the high cheek-bones the square jaw were more sharply outlined than of old and the hand which the invalid extended to maurice that honest hard-working hand which had once been coarse and brown was now white and thin michael trevenard sat at the opposite side of the hearth with a pewter tankard a newspaper and a long clay pipe on the square oak table at his elbow these idle autumn evenings were trying to the somewhat mindless farmer to whom all the world of letters afforded no further solace than the county paper or an occasional number of the field i am sorry to see you looking so ill mrs trevenard maurice said kindly i've had a bad time of it this year mr clissold she answered i had an attack of ague and low fever in the spring and it left a cough that has stuck to me ever since i hope my coming here while you are an invalid will not be troublesome to you no answered mrs trevenard with a sigh i've got used to the notion of things being in a muddle and neither michael nor martin seem to mind so it doesn't much matter that the house is neglected i've been obliged to take a second girl and the two between them make more dirt than ever they clean up your old room's been got ready for you mr clissold at least i told martha to clean it thoroughly early this morning and light a good fire this afternoon so i suppose it's all right but you might as well make up your mind that the wind was always to blow from one quarter as that a girl would do her duty when your eyes are off her if i had a daughter now a handy young woman to look after the house she turned her head upon her pillow with a shuddering sigh that thought was too bitter my dear mrs trevenard cried maurice cheerfully i feel assured that the room will be well not so nice as you would have made it perhaps but quite clean and comfortable he took his seat by the hearth and entered into a conversation with the master of the house who seemed cheered by the visitor's arrival and pray what's doing up in london mr clissold michael trevenard asked as if he took the keenest interest in metropolitan affairs maurice told him the latest stirring events wars and rumours of wars reviews royal marriages and contemplation to which the farmer listened with respectful attention feeling these facts as remote from his life as if they had occurred in the east indies he on his part told maurice all that had been stirring at penwin amongst other matters that curious circumstance of the attempted burglary and mr penwin's lenity towards the offender i am rather surprised to hear that said maurice i should not have thought the squire a particularly easy-going person no he can be stern enough at times answered the farmer that business up at the justice-room caused a good bit of talk if it had been one of us folks said squire penwin wouldn't have let go his grip like that 
they couldn't understand why he should be so lenient just because the man was the son of his lodge-keeper it would have seemed more natural for him to get rid of the whole lot altogether for they're a set of vagabonds to be about a gentleman's place that girl elspeth who brought you here is always robbing the orchards and hen-roosts about the neighbourhood she's a regular pest to the farmers wives that curious-looking woman is still at the lodge then asked maurice yes she's still there perhaps it was mrs penwin who interceded for the son well it was a curious business altogether answered the farmer mrs penwin and the woman has a talk together in a room to themselves and then mrs penwin comes back to the justice room looking as white as a corpse and says a few words to her husband and on that he talks over mr tresillian and then mr tresillian lets the vagabond off with a reprimand now why mrs penwin should intercede for the woman's son i can't understand for it's well known though mrs penwin's own maid having talked about it that the squire's lady can't endure the woman and is vexed with her husband for keeping such trash on his premises i dare say there's something more in it than any of us cornish folks are likely to find out said mrs trevenard the penwins were always a secret underhanded lot smooth on the outside as fair as whitened sepulchres and as foul within come bridget you're prejudiced against them you always have been i think it isn't fair to speak ill of those that have been good landlords to us haven't we been good tenants we're even there i think the maid-servant came in to lay the supper-table mrs trevenard's watchful eyes following the girl's every movement a good substantial supper had been prepared for the traveller but the old air of comfort seemed to have deserted the homestead maurice thought the sick wife with that unmistakable prophetic look in her face the forecast shadow of coming death gave a melancholy air to the scene the blind old grandmother sitting apart in her corner looked like a monument of age and affliction the farmer himself had the heavy dullness of manner which betokens a too frequent indulgence in alcohol martin was spasmodically gay as if determined to enjoy the society of his friend but care had set its mark on the bright young face and he was in no wise the martin of two years ago maurice retired to his bedroom soon after supper conducted by martin the apartment was unchanged in its dismal aspect the dingy old furniture loomed darkly through the dusk martin's one candle making only an oasis of light in the desert of gloom the memory of his first night at borcelend was very present to maurice clissold as he seated himself by the hearth where the fire had burned black and dull poor muriel he thought what a dreary chamber for youth and beauty to inhabit and in a fatal hour the girl's first love-dream came to illumine the gloom sweet delusive dream bringing pain along with it an inextinguishable regret martin set down the candle on the dressing-table and poked the fire vehemently poor mother's right he said those girls never do anything properly now she isn't able to follow them about i told phoebe to be sure to have a bright fire to light up this cheerless old den and she has left nothing but a mass of smouldering coal never mind the fire martin sit down like a good fellow and tell me all your troubles your poor mother looks very ill so ill that the doctor gives us no hope of her ever getting better poor soul she's going to leave us heaven only knows how soon she's been a good faithful wife to father and a tender mother to me and a good mistress and a faithful servant in all things so far as i can tell yet i'm afraid there's something on her mind 
something that weighs heavy i've seen many a token of secret care since she's been ill and sitting quietly by the fire thinking over her past life and you imagine that her trouble is in some way connected with your sister i don't see what else it can be that's the only unhappiness we've ever had in our lives all the rest has been plain sailing enough have you questioned your mother about her anxieties asked maurice many times but she has always put me off with some impatient answer she has never denied that she has secret cares but when i have begged her to trust me or my father she has turned from me peevishly neither of you can help me she has told me what is the use of talking of old sores when there's no healing them an unanswerable question said maurice you remember what you said to me about poor muriel the day you left borsal well those words of yours made a deep impression upon me not so much at the time as afterwards i thought over all you had said and it seemed to grow clear to me that there was something sadder about my poor sister's story than had ever come to my knowledge she had not been quite fairly used perhaps things had been hushed up and hidden for the honour of her family and she had been the victim of the family respectability my mother's one fault is pride pride in the respectability of the trevenards she doesn't want to be on a level with her superiors or to be thought anything better than a yeoman's wife but her strong point has been the family credit there are no people in cornwall more looked up to than the trevenards i can remember hearing her say that as soon as i can remember anything and i believe she would make any sacrifice of her own happiness to maintain that position it is just possible that she may have sacrificed the peace of others i agree with you there martin whatever wrong has been done great or small has been done for the sake of the good old name now it struck me continued martin earnestly that although my mother cannot be persuaded to confide in me or in my father who has been a little dull of late poor soul she might bring herself to trust you i know that she respects you as a clever man and a man of the world you live remote from this little corner of the earth where the trevenards are of importance she would feel less pain perhaps in trusting you with a family secret than in telling it to her own kith and kin you would go away carrying the secret with you and if there were any wrong to be righted as i fear there must be you might write it without giving rise to scandal this is what i have thought foolishly perhaps indeed no martin i see no folly in your idea and if i can persuade your mother to trust me depend upon it i will she knows you are a gentleman and might be willing to trust in your honour where she would doubt any commoner person we'll see what can be done answered maurice hopefully your poor sister lives apart from you all i suppose in the old way yes replied the young man and i fear it's a bad way her wits seem further astray than ever when i meet her now in the hazel copse where she is so fond of wandering she looks scared and runs away from me she sings to herself sometimes of an evening as she sits by the fire in grandmother's room i hear her now and then as i pass the window singing some old song in her sad sweet voice just as she used to sing me to sleep years ago but i think she hardly ever opens her lips to speak does she ever see her mother that's the saddest part of all for the last year my mother hasn't dared go near her muriel took to screaming at the sight of her as if she was going into a fit so since then mother and she have hardly ever met it's hard to think of the dying mother so near her only daughter and yet completely separated from her 
it's a sad story altogether martin said maurice and a heavy burden for your young life if i can do anything to lighten it be sure of my uttermost help i am very glad you sent for me i am very glad you trust me on this the two young men shook hands and parted for the night martin much cheered by his friend's coming no intrusion disturbed the traveller's rest he slept soundly after his long journey and awoke to hear farmyard cocks crowing in the sunshine and to remember that he was more than two hundred miles away from justina ten but oh the thorns we stand upon mr clissold spent the morning sauntering about the farm and lounging in one of the hillside meadows with martin the young man was depressed by the sense of approaching calamity and the thought of parting with his mother who had been more tender to him than to any one else in the world was a bitter grief not to be put aside but he did his best to keep his sorrow to himself and to be an agreeable companion to his friend while maurice on his side tried to beguile martin to forgetfulness by cheery talk of that wide busy world in which the young cornishman longed to take his place i shall have my liberty soon enough said martin with a sigh i could not leave borsal during my mother's lifetime for i knew it would grieve her if i deserted the old homestead but when she is gone the tie will be broken father can rub on well enough without me if i find him an honest bailiff to take my place he can afford to sit down and rest now and take things easily for he's a rich man though he and mother always make a secret of it and i can run down here once or twice a year to see how things are going on yes i shall certainly go to london after my poor mother's death borsal would be hateful to me without her and if you can get me into a merchant's office i would try my hand at commerce i am pretty quick at figures i'll do my best to start you fairly dear boy though i have not much influence in the commercial world i think a year or two in london would do you good and perhaps reconcile you to your country life afterwards a little london goes a long way with some people and now i think i'll walk over to penwin and see how the squire and his wife are getting on i shall be back at borsal by tea-time will you come with me martin i should like it of all things but my mother sets her face against any intercourse between the two families she doesn't even like my father to go to the audit dinner and just now when she's so ill i don't care to do anything that can vex her so i'll loaf about at home while you go up yonder so be it then martin i think you're quite right the walk across the moorland was delightful in the late september weather a fresh breeze blowing off the land and the atlantic's mighty waves breaking silver-crested upon the rugged shore if justina were but here thought maurice with a longing for that one companion in whose presence he had found perfect contentment the companion who always understood and always sympathized who laughed at his smallest jokelet for whom his loftiest flight never soared too high he thought of justina mewed up in her bloomsbury parlour while he was gazing on that wide ocean breathing this ethereal air and he felt as if there were selfishness in his enjoyment of the scene without her will the day ever come when she and i shall be one and visit earth's fairest scenes together he wondered has she forgotten her romantic attachment to my poor friend and can she give me a whole heart i think she likes me i have sometimes ventured to tell myself that she loves me yet there is that old memory she can never give me a love as pure and perfect as that early passion the first fruits of her innocent girlish heart pure as those vernal offerings which the romans gave their gods 
he looked back to that summer day at ebersham when he had seen the overgrown shabbily clad girl sitting in the meadow with wild flowers in her lap lifting up her pale young face and looking up at him with her melancholy eyes eyes which had beheld so little of earth's brightness nothing fairer than such a meadow on a summer afternoon i did not know that was my fate he said to himself remembering his critical philosophical consideration of the group thinking of justina shortened that moorland walk the subject being in a manner inexhaustible just that one subject which in the mind of a lover has no beginning middle or end by and by the pedestrian struck into one of squire penwin's new roads and admired the young trees in the squire's plantations and the thickets of rhododendron planted here and there among the stems of norwegian and scotch firs a keeper's or forester's lodge here and there built of grey stone gave an air of occupation to the landscape the neatly kept garden full of autumn's gaudy flowers a group of rustic children standing at gaze to watch the traveller these plantations wonderfully improved the approach to penwin manor house they gave an indication of residential estate as it were and added importance to the country seat of the penwins the manor house of days gone by by having an isolated mansion set in a wild and barren landscape nowadays the traveller surveyed these well-kept plantations on either side of a wide high road and knew that a lord of the soil dwelt near maurice entered the manor house grounds by the north lodge he might have chosen a shorter way but he had a fancy for taking another look at the woman who had first admitted him to penwin and who had become notorious since then on account of her son's wrong-doing the iron gate was shut but the woman was near at hand ready to admit visitors she was sitting on her doorstep basking in the afternoon sunshine she no longer wore the close white cap in which maurice had first seen her to-day her dark hair with its streaks of grey was brushed smoothly from her swarthy forehead and a scarlet handkerchief was tied loosely across her head that bit of scarlet had a curious effect upon maurice clissold's memory two years ago he had vaguely fancied the face familiar to-day brought back the memory of time and place the very moment and spot where he had first seen it yes he recalled the low-water meadows the towpath the old red-tiled roofs and pointed gables of ebersham the solemn towers of the cathedral the crook-backed willows on the bank and youth and careless pleasure personified in james penwin this lodge-keeper was no other than that gipsy who had prophesied evil about maurice clissold's friend a slight thing perhaps and matter for ridicule that dark saying about the severed line of life on james penwin's palm but circumstances had given a fatal force to the soothsayer's words what said maurice looking at the woman earnestly as she unlocked the gate you and i have met before my good woman and far away from here she stared at him with a stolid look i remember your coming here two years ago she said that was the first and last time i ever saw you till to-day oh no it was not not the first time have you forgotten ebersham and your fortune-telling days when you told my friend mr penwin's fortune and talked about a cut across his hand he was murdered the following day i should think that event must have impressed the circumstance upon your mind i don't know what you're talking about rebecca mason answered doggedly i never saw you till you came here i was never at any place called ebersham i cannot gainsay so positive an assertion from a lady said maurice ironically 
but all i can say is that there is some one about in the world who bears a most extraordinary likeness to you i hope the fact may never get you into trouble he passed on towards the house sorely perplexed by the presence of this woman at mr penwin's gates he had no shadow of doubt as to her identity she was the very woman he had seen plying her gypsy trade at ebersham that woman and no other and what could have brought her here through what influence by what pretence had she warmed her way into a respectable household and acquired so much power that her vagabond son might attempt a burglary with impunity the question was a puzzling one and worried maurice not a little he remembered what mrs trevenard had said about there being something in the background something false and underhanded in the squire's life only the suggestion of a prejudiced woman of course but such suggestions make their impression even upon the clearest mind he remembered justina's prejudice against the man who had been so great a gainer by james penwin's death heaven help churchill penwin he thought it's not a pleasant thing to succeed to a murdered man's heritage let him walk ever so straight there will be watchful eyes that will see crookedness in all his ways it's a curious business about that gypsy woman though he went on after a pause does mr penwin know who she is i wonder or has she deceived him as to her character and traded upon his benevolence although he is not much liked here he has done a good deal that indicates a benevolent mind and kindly intentions towards his dependents he may have given that woman her post out of pure charity i'll try if i can get to the bottom of the business he drew near the house everywhere he saw improvement everywhere the indication of an all-pervading taste which had turned all things to beauty the gardens whose half-neglected air he remembered were now in most perfect order additions had been made to the house not important in their character but in a manner completing the harmony of the picture and over all there was a wealth of colour and varied light and shadow which would have made most country mansions seem dull and commonplace in comparison with this one it is mrs penwin's taste no doubt which has made the place so charming maurice thought happy man to have such a wife i will think no ill of him for her sake the aspect of the house impressed maurice as suggestive of happy domestic life grander was not the character of the mansion home-like prettiness rather a gracious smiling air which seemed to welcome the stranger maurice entered by an elizabethan porch which had been added to the old lobby entrance at one end of the house the lobby had been transformed into the prettiest little armory imaginable the dark and shining oak walls decorated with weapons and shields of the middle ages all old english this armory opened into a corridor with a row of doors on either side a corridor which led straight to the hall now the favourite family sitting-room and provided with what was known as the ladies billiard-table the billiard-room proper was an apartment at the other end of the house with an open gothic roof and lighted from the top a room which churchill had added to the family mansion here in the spacious old hall maurice found the family and guests assembled after luncheon lady cheshunt enthroned in a luxurious armchair drawn close to the bright wood fire which pleasantly warmed the autumnal atmosphere viola bellingham deeply engaged in the consideration of whether to play for the white or the red her own ball having been sent into a most uncomfortable corner by her antagonist sir lewis dallas mrs penwin seated on a sofa by the sunniest window with the infant heir on her knees a sturdy fair-haired youngster in a dark blue velvet frock trying his utmost to demolish a set of indian chessmen which the indulgent mother had produced for his amusement 
churchill seated near glancing from an open quarterly to that pleasing picture of mother and child two or three young ladies and a couple of middle-aged gentlemen engaged in watching the billiard players and finally sir lewis dallas engaged in watching viola no brighter picture of english home life could be imagined churchill threw down his quarterly and rose to offer the unexpected guest a hearty welcome which madge as heartily seconded this time of course you have come to stay with us said mr penwin you are too good no i have put up at my old quarters at borzelend but i dare say i shall give you quite enough of my society i walked over to spend an hour or two and perhaps ask for a cup of tea for mrs penwin you'll stop to dinner surely not this evening tempting as such an invitation is i promised martin trevenard that i would go back before dark you and that young martin are fast friends it seems yes he is a capital young fellow and i am really attached to him answered maurice somewhat absently he was looking at mrs penwin surprised nay shocked by the change which her beauty had suffered since he had last seen the proud handsome face only a few months ago there was the old brightness in her smile the same grand carriage of the nobly formed head but her face had aged somehow the eyes seemed to have grown larger the once perfect oval of the cheek had sharpened to a less lovely outline the clear dark complexion had lost its carnation glow and that warm golden tinge which had reminded maurice of one of de musset's andalusian beauties had faded to an ivory pallor madge was as kind as ever and seemed no less gay yet maurice fancied there was a change even in the tone of her voice it had lost its old glad ring the stranger was presented to the guests of the house the younger ladies received him with something akin to enthusiasm there being only one eligible young man at penwin manor and he being hopelessly entangled in the fair viola's silken net lady chessant asked if mr clissold had come straight from london and on being answered in the affirmative ordered him to sit down by her immediately and tell her all the news of the metropolis about that dreadful murder in the bow road and about the american comedian who had been making people laugh at the royal buffonerie theatre and about the new french novel which the saturday review said was so shocking that no respectable woman ought to look at it and which lady chessant was dying to read maurice stayed for afternoon tea which was served in the hall viola officiating at a sutherland table in the broad recess that had once been the chief entrance so you have abandoned your ancient office mrs penwin said maurice as he carried the lady of the manor her cup madge has not been very strong lately and has been obliged to avoid even small fatigues answered churchill who was standing near his wife's chair there is a cloud on the horizon thought maurice as he set out on his homeward walk not any bigger than a man's hand perhaps but the cloud is there end of volume two chapters nine and ten